good ideas, especially in businesses the size of yours, tend to have durability. So it should have mm-hmm. some shelf life after a few weeks or months. But what's so fascinating is the same instinct that rewarded you so much when you started your business can start to hurt you as you build an organization. You've been rewarded for years by being quick actor, like yes. YouTube, video, marketing strategy, hit the market, sell. And now you want to keep being that person, but is creating um, inefficiencies across the strategy and the organization. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Tropical MBA podcast. I got a little bit of news for you. I'm going to get to that, but first I want to introduce today's episode. Basically a personal obsession. So I want to give you, the listener, a little bit of challenge. Today's guest has answered the challenge, and I will answer the challenge as well at the top here. Here it basically is. Over the past couple of years, I've made a mess for myself. I've doubled our business. Our team has changed dramatically. And I've kind of gone out there seeking out all these different systems, these coaches, books, anything that's going to help me manage the growth, have a more efficient, stress-free experience while continuing to grow. That's basically the personal mission that I've been on. And, you know, if you guys have been listening to the pod, you know, I've gone down all these different rabbit holes. What I've found is that there seems to be an interesting consensus amongst the listenership that a lot of the traditional business operational systems are simply too complicated. And I'm also forced to face the truth that I see regularly in our clients, which is that many listeners of this show drop multiple millions of dollars to the bottom line every year. And you know what their business operational system is? Nothing. 100% nothing. They don't have systems. That's why they come to us. They say, we got millions of dollars, but we don't have systems. Can we get some of these systems? It's similar to this thing I heard. It's like chicken and egg. Do universities create wealthy cities or do wealthy cities create universities? What comes first, the chicken or the egg, the operational process or the profits? Well, I don't know. Everybody can have their answer to that. I think it's a little bit of both. It happens in all different kinds of ways, but I can tell you this. Having operational processes might not be the most important thing in your business, but that doesn't mean they can't be extremely helpful and useful. I've certainly found them so. However, I do agree with the listenership of this show that a lot of the systems out there are too complicated. So here's the challenge. If you only had to implement one system, what would it be? What's the most important system? And that's going to be the theme of today's episode. Today's guest, Lydia Machova, is going to share with you the top three business operational systems that she's applied in her business. It's like an 80-20 approach. It's completely changed her day-to-day experience. Now, she's no longer the only problem solver in her business. The business is humming along smoothly, and she has a lot more time to focus on either growth, her personal life, or whatever else she's interested in. Sounds pretty good. So the theme of the episode 
It's deciding on that minimum effective dose of processes in your business. Why over-optimize? Why not focus on the things that make all the difference? I'll tell you what mine is. The challenge to you, the listener, is email me, Twitter me, IG me. Tell me what your favorite operational process is, that minimum effective dose. I'll tell you why. If you hire a coach for this stuff, they'll tell you it takes two or three years. And maybe if you got 200 employees, fine. But I see large companies for whom this isn't a top priority in the business. They find that minimum effective dose. For me, it's scorecards. We did a whole episode about it a couple months back. We'll link to it in the show notes. The reason being, when you fill out scorecards for every single person on your team, you necessarily have a cascading number of considerations. Like, for example, what's the organizational goal and how's that show up on this person's desk? What's the general sketch of the organization in terms of hierarchies or responsibilities? How's that show up? What are the values of this company? What is the short and medium-term mission of this company? That all shows up on the scorecard. So this is one of my beefs with a lot of these systems. It's like, yo, just do the scorecard. And this is going to potentially be a revolution in your business. In fact, I got a case study from not an eight-figure, but a nine-figure business that did this. And just the scorecard was a revolution for their business. It's just that simple. Just listen to the episode. Go ahead and do it. And it can make all the difference. You don't have to sit there for two or three years and do every single little process that the consultants tell you to do. That's another theme. A lot of us gloss over this stuff because it's too simple. Oh, scorecard. Ah, yeah. Tell me something I don't know about. Well, implementing scorecards can actually be really challenging. That could take you a month of your time. So give yourself the time and space and understand one of the themes of this episode is all the actions in the implementation. Yeah, yeah. Scorecards, simple. Yeah, yeah. Goals, easy, right? Well, try implementing that across your team. Now, all of a sudden, you make the realization that maybe it's not the right team. Well, that's hard. Or maybe someone on the team doesn't accept it. Oh, shit. Scorecards are simple, right? One of the interesting things about simple frameworks is in their best case, they can drive you to make difficult decisions. That's where all the action is. Today's guest, Lydia, represents this line of thinking to a T, and that's why I invited her on today's show. You're going to hear some amazing stories in this show. First off, how she saved $25,000 by reading a $10 book and taking the month to implement what was said in the book and that process has lived profitably for years in her business, driving key results. I think it's an interesting lesson here. Simple ideas, the implementation is complicated. She's going to talk about an integrator visionary relationship, how she developed that. And she's going to reveal her three favorite operational processes, her minimum effective dose, all in today's episode. One other thing that I've been thinking about and that I think is a challenge for so many of us is this concept of delegation, which is a theme in a lot of what Lydia is going to be speaking about today and how these systems can lead to better delegation. I've been reflecting on this quite a bit that most of us, when we're delegating, when we say delegation, what we mean is assistance. And there's a huge difference between getting assistance on something, but still really being the ultimate lose sleep over it person versus delegating executive responsibility for an area of responsibility. 
that's a little bit different. It's something I've been reflecting on. Like, is this a true delegation? Have I set this person up for success? Does this person know how to deal with failure in this function the way I would deal with failure? Are they going to take feedback? Are they going to adjust? Are they going to understand the priority relative in the business? Or are you going to have to keep stepping in and they're going to have to keep asking you for a checkup? Yo, what do you think right now? That's assistance. And so I think what Lydia's message here is moving to more of a true delegation framework and the power that that can have in your business. All right, we're going to get into it in just a minute here. A couple news updates. You can tell I'm solo here. Our beautiful summer in Barcelona is coming to an end. I actually get a lot of emails from you guys about spending the summer in Europe. I'll tell you my favorite part about being here in Europe is the weekends. Europeans take their weekends seriously. This weekend, I spent 12 euros on the train and I went to a world-class mountain town resort. You know, imagine if in America, you could, you know, be in West Texas and jump on a train and be in the high mountains of Colorado for a couple bucks. That's what's going on in Europe. And it's interesting, like all the travelers here and all the locals alike, it's like, what is your city whisper? It's a theme, you know, like, what does your city whisper? Well, it's like, what does your continent whisper? And what Europe whispers in the summertime is, what are you doing this weekend? Where are you going this weekend? That's what Europe whispers to me. So I would call it another grand success. A lot of the ideas and sharing that Ian and I have created being in the office every single day here together in Barcelona will ultimately show up in our business. We'll show up on this podcast in the coming weeks and months. And if you're a remote team, it's just a, another reminder to me about the importance of spending time in person. You rarely regret that investment. So yeah, the summer is coming to a close. Be putting the palm tree bathing suit back in the bag but I'll be ripping it back out for DCBKK in October. Actually, that's how I'm spending the next couple of weeks. We're working with our speaker partners, with our sponsor partners, with all our VIPs, all of our attendees. Looking forward to the best DCBKK of all time if you're a new listener. By, I don't know, like just a crazy convolution of forces ended up having our biggest event every year for four days in Bangkok at a five-star hotel. And, you know, most people don't live in Asia. We all fly there. That's like part of the appeal of the event. A lot of us are bringing our families this year. I actually have listed on my notes that we have childcare for the event this year because so many of the members use it as an opportunity to go hang out in a villa in Phuket for a week afterwards or go to Chiang Mai for a month and just spend time with each other. And a lot of people bring their partners, their families, their friends, whoever in full force their teams. That's another big thing is hey, you know, it's really affordable to get the whole team together in Chiang Mai or in Phuket. Why don't we do that for a week on the heels of the energy we get from the conference and so on. I couldn't be more excited to head back to Asia and meet so many listeners of this pod. Speaking of flying around to events, I met today's guest recently in London, Lydia Machova. She runs a business called languagementoring.com. And I'm incredibly impressed by how she's taken this concept of minimum effective dose of operational practices and made language mentoring a much, much better business in the process. Here's the story. Let's roll it. I'm just so excited to talk to you because 
There's a group of people who are passionate about systems and process in our network, but I've always thought that a lot of the systems are too heavy and overcomplicated. And I think what you've done is such a nice job of is simplifying and saying, hey, here's a great place to start. Oh, thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Let's start off with, could you pronounce your name and let us know what it is that you do? So my name in Slovak is Lydia Haritz Machova, but it's totally okay to call me Lydia Machova, the international <laughs> version. And uh, I have a business called Language Mentoring, where I basically teach people how they can learn any language by themselves. So I don't teach anyone a language, but I teach them the methods and I help them with the accountability to actually spend time with the language and learn it to fluency. And you have quite a significant business. Could you help us? So give us some sense for what your operation looks like. So we started um, in 2016, I started by myself and slowly started to acquire new people. Uh, right now, there's 18 of us on the team, but we are not all full time. I have a different combination of part time and freelancers. Some of them are full time, but it's 18 people who spend most of their time working on, on this business. We have had uh, more than 13,000 clients so far. And we mostly focus on the Slovak and Czech market. We also have an international chapter of the business, uh, which is called language mentoring. The Slovak one is called Jazykovi Mentoring, which is a translation in Slovak. And so we, we serve mostly people from my country and from the Czech Republic to help them learn English, German, Spanish, and other languages. Or from we serve people from anywhere in the world who speak English and want to learn any other language. Yeah. Can you tell us about your entrepreneurial moment? How did this come about for you? Why aren't you working some nice job somewhere? Why run a company with 18 people teaching language skills? Mm -hmm. It all started when I finished my PhD. I basically, I worked as a conference interpreter at that time. And I was slowly starting to get tired of it because being an interpreter is a beautiful job, but you always trade your time for money. And as soon as I understood that, like, you can take as many holidays as you want, but there is no money coming in at that time. So I was thinking what else I could do, what, what value I could bring to the world in a, in a different way. And at that time, I was learning my, I think, fifth or sixth, maybe seventh language, because that was my hobby. Ever since I was a kid, I liked learning languages by myself. And once I got to number five or six, I started to notice that there are certain things that I do very differently when it comes to language learning and that are just not done when languages are taught in the traditional school system or in language schools. And once I understood this difference and once I got to know other polyglots, people who speak a lot of languages, I started to see the patterns. And that's when I realized, but people don't know it out there. They still keep learning languages the old way, the school way, which clearly doesn't work. They don't know how to do it different. So how could I help them understand it? And these two things basically came together. Can you bring me to a moment where you recognize like this is different and this is working? So I used to teach languages, right? And I taught them the traditional way because I didn't know any other way. But at the same time, I learned, I learned them differently when I was learning by myself. So for example, I realized that in uh, language schools and at school, we spend far too little time practicing the two most important skills, which are listening and speaking. I actually counted it. And if someone attends uh, the most regular course, like twice a week for an hour and a half, which is actually quite a lot of time spent with the language. And if they're in a group with six students, 
they actually end up practicing speaking for about seven minutes a week. And if you think about any other activity, for example, going to the gym, learning to drive a car, learning to play the piano, if you imagine that you do it for seven minutes a week, and then you stop, and then next Monday you come again, show up for another seven minutes, how could you possibly expect to have any muscles or learn to really play the piano? You wouldn't. It doesn't make any sense. And yet people go to these language schools and they pay so much money for it. And they spend years trying to learn the language and it never gets them anywhere. They cannot use the language. They cannot speak it. And they don't understand why. And I want to explain to them like, hey, look, how much have you actually practiced the speaking yourself? How many sentences have you made? And that's when they realize that they, they haven't. And the same applies to listening. If you only use a few recordings uh, that the teacher plays from a CD player or something, it's just so little. You need to spend hours listening to the language and that's when you can actually speak it really well. So this is just one thing that I understood, like just the amount of time that people spend with the most important skills. It feels like there's parallels in entrepreneurship there too. Mm -hmm. That's a fascinating answer. One of the distinctions I often see between businesses that I would love to be a part of from a financial and strategy perspective versus ones that I wouldn't want to be a part of is a reliable source of new customers. Can you tell us how new customers come into your business reliably? Well, our main channels are PPC ads. We use uh, Facebook, Google, and YouTube. And my main channel to communicate ideas is uh, video. I think I'm, I'm most natural on video, not so good with blog and uh, text writing. So we produce a lot of content for free uh, on a regular basis. And we have an automized webinar using the perfect webinar script by Russell Brunson, mm. which has been working really well. Can you tell us what that's all about? How did you stumble on? That's so fascinating to me. That's, that's like the best investment I've ever made because I, I've really just paid for the book for like $10 just for the post to, to send, send it to me. And I, I just sat down with the book. I, I understood that this is really powerful. And uh, I said, well, I want to do a webinar, but I want to do it strictly to the letter. So I want to tell my story. I want to do the hero's journey and all the three secrets and everything. So I spent a month like reading the book and thinking about it and just writing down notes. And then I recorded the webinar and actually I, I almost haven't touched it since. I just like re-recorded some bonuses or some price changes, etc. But like really the main part is always there since 2019. And it's just been constantly earning us money. It's, it's incredible. So you have the, uh, the audience coming in from your videos and then they see the webinar and they're like, yo, I have to take the next step. Yeah, basically. So they, they come through either a video ad or... Facebook ad. And yeah, so I think what helps is that my product or my approach to learning languages is quite unique. So it's not yet another way to learn a language and yet another language school. I basically tell them, forget about what you've been doing with your language so far. I can explain to you why it hasn't worked. I can explain to you why you have wasted all these 15 years trying to learn German. Are those the secrets <laughs> where you're reading yeah. their mind? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I can explain because I understand it from a different perspective. Being a person who has learned several languages by myself, I think I have cracked the way, like this, really the secret to learning a language. And I give it to them in the webinar. And I think what I, what I managed to do is to create a mindset shift. And this is what a webinar should do. You shouldn't teach something, which is what, what mm. Brownson taught me. 
you should change their mindset. And once that happens, then your course, your offer is the obvious solution to their problem because they have just realized why they haven't been successful. And it's not because it's up to them. It's not because they're not talented. It's not because they're really bad at something. It actually is the fault of the system and the methods they had been learning the language wow. so far. Yeah. So by the way, if you That's want the, so the cool. shortest version of my, of my secret is my TED talk. In 12 minutes, you are going to learn that secret. So you can check it so out. So rad. <laughs> I love that. We're all going to have to go pick up that book and take a look at what you're doing there. I think, I think it's so fascinating how a book can be a gateway to a breakthrough yeah. like that. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And I know many people have paid like the inner circle, you know, $25,000 a year to be with him and, and to discuss this, but actually know a few people who have done it. And they told me like, it's, it is really in the book. If you understand the book, like to the depth, you get what it takes to really do it. The rest is accountability. Right. That's the other expert secret. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I've just saved you $25,000. <laughs> Lydia, oh, we could talk about your business all day long. I'd like to talk about how you approach your business. And you have a really interesting approach to implementing systems. And I'm curious as what were the early motivations for you to seek out systemization strategies for your business? It's interesting when you put it like this, because I wouldn't think of myself as a person who is good at implementing systems, but we have succeeded at implementing a system. And I, I think that was the solution because when we were dealing with a lot of issues in 2021, my integrator, Veronica, she was kind of my right hand. What's an integrator? Hand. So an integrator is um, that I'm using the terminology of the system that we have implemented, which is EOS from the book Traction by Gino Wickman. And integrator is kind of like a part of a CEO. Now, I like the terminology that EOS uses because it doesn't go with the traditional titles of CEO, CFO, founder, but there is a visionary and an integrator. And many people think that integrator is a, as an operations manager, but actually it's more than that. It's like the visionary and integrator share the role of the founder plus CEO, but not in the distinction of I'm the founder and you are the CEO. I don't know if it makes sense. It's, it's kind of difficult to explain, but it took me a few months to really understand the difference. Can you give me an example of how you interact that would maybe illuminate some of the division of duties? So I am the visionary of the business, which basically means I came up, it's usually the founder, but not necessarily. I came up with the main idea. I'm the expert on the business, so I decide what products we do and like what direction we go. But also I'm the strategic visionary. So I decide like how we grow, where we grow, what markets we, we try to focus on, etc. But I need my integrator who is a person very good at systems and operations and at managing people. And she makes sure that my vision is implemented into actionable steps that we can actually take in our business. So to give you, give you an example, when I did not have my integrator, so Veronica was in my business, but she was not in that position. We, we did not think of it in these terms. She was having a specific role just in operations, let's say. 
I would often come with a lot of ideas because that's what visionaries are good at. They come up and they excite the whole team. It's like, hey guys, I got this new perfect idea about this course. Let's do it. This will be <laughs> awesome. And you get everyone excited, which is cool. But then what it means in practice is that everyone kind of stops doing what they were doing and they go this new direction, this new shiny object, you know, like, oh, this is exciting. This is new. Let's do it. This is cool. I've heard it called a, a founder bomb. Like you come to a oh, meeting okay. and you just light a bomb yeah. and like it changes everything because that's a good term. Everybody's going to listen to what you say, right? You're the boss. Exactly. Yeah. And I do have a lot of influential talent, so I can get people on my team, right? It's like <laughs> I get everyone excited. That's awesome. And I feel great about it. But then what happens is that I do not tell everyone what to do. So I give them the direction and expect everyone to kind of follow along, which they don't. <laughs> so. By the time we everybody knows what they're doing, I come up with a new idea and just mess it all up again. And this is where the integrator comes in. Like she listens to my ideas very patiently and she praises me for the ideas, but says, okay, Lydia, but not now, okay? Because mm -hmm. look at all these projects we are doing right now. We need to finish them first because this is actually implementing your long-term vision. So if a visionary does not have an integrator, they can easily undermine their own vision just by being so excited about new shiny things. Does it make sense? It makes a lot of sense. So I realized that I am very good at influencing people, at creating content and cr at thinking in my business in very unique ways, which other people cannot think of. But I'm really not good at managing people and holding them accountable. And once I realized that it was so liberating to let go of this and not to try to position myself into that role, because it just doesn't work. I uh, if it's up to me to call a regular meeting and to prepare the agenda and then to ask people if they did what they were supposed to do, we're not getting anywhere, really. That's Veronica's uh, job. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing is with that, there's a couple ideas that pop up. The first is you are genuinely so good at these world-class skill sets and one-of-one skill sets that the business is losing equity value every time you manage people, in theory. Exactly. The other piece is like, I think it's hard because you are passionate about the business, about language, about the ideas, strategies. Sometimes it's hard to imagine that somebody would want to manage people and that that person would, you know what I mean? Like, how did you get over yeah. that hump or was that an issue for you? Uh, you mean like visionaries are often surprised that there are integrators who actually want Basically, the job. yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is what Gino Wickman, so the author of Traction and EOS, he, he puts it real nicely in the other book he wrote, which is about visionary integrator. It's called Rocket Fuel. And he says, he actually addresses this to visionaries and he says like, guys, believe it or not, there are guys out there who want that job. <laughs> and it's amazing, but of course there are. I mean, what Veronica, my integrator, is good at is she, she thinks in processes and she can see the processes before they're there, you know? I see yeah. them once she introduces them and then that they make perfect sense. And I'm so grateful. It's like, oh my God, this makes life easier for everyone, including me. I love the fact that she implements the processes to myself. So what often happens now is that I come up with a brilliant idea, you know, in my shower or taking a walk or whatever. And then I'm so excited and I go to our strategy council or leadership council and I tell them, it's like, hey guys, I had this idea. What, what do you think about that? And it's happened several times that, you know, the process is to, okay, let's write it down. This becomes a candidate for a future project. And we will revisit it at the end of this quarter because we work on quarterly parts of the year, so quarterly plans. And then we will decide if we do it or not. 
And at the beginning, I was kind of sad about it. I was like, oh man, you know, I want to do it right away. Like this is the exciting stuff. But I'm so glad that she has those rules and I, I'm happy to follow them because I usually find out that most of my brilliant ideas are actually not that brilliant, let's be honest, or they're not brilliant or they're not perfect for that time. So we shouldn't just stop doing whatever we were doing and try something new. And usually when we look at it after three months, I can see if the idea still holds water, you know, if it's still interesting, if it's still useful, or if it's just one of those things that, you know, would be nice to have. Good ideas, especially in businesses the size of yours, tend to have durability. So it should have mm -hmm. some shelf life after a few weeks or months. But what's so fascinating is the same instinct that rewarded you so much when you started your business can start to hurt you as you build an organization. Totally. I find that dynamic fascinating. You've been rewarded for years by being quick actor, like yes. YouTube, video, marketing strategy, hit the market, sell. And now you want to keep being that person, but is creating um, inefficiencies across the strategy and the organization. Mm, that's actually a very good point, Dan. Now that I think of it, it really is quite important to be that visionary and to be a quick thinker and come up with new ideas and just implement them right away at the beginning because you are by yourself, right? If you have a bootstrap yeah. business, you have an assistant and maybe another assistant and you're building the team from zero, but you are every single position, right? And you need to learn really quickly. But then at some point when you start to have more people, and I would say maybe starts to break at about seven, 10 that's when you don't want to have that model of a genius with a thousand helpers as, um, I don't know which guy created the term, Collins, I think, Jim Collins. Mm. Um, you don't want to be the genius with a thousand helpers because then you need to manage and micromanage those people. If you don't want to do that, you're not good at that. And they don't know what to do by themselves. You can manage two or three and tell them, okay, Monday morning, this is what I want you to do, deliver, and tomorrow you'll tell me how you did it. But then you end up doing just that and you cannot get any creative work done because you're just managing people and you hate that job, right? So totally. that's, that, I think that's when you need processes and you need someone else to help you manage the team. Hey, if you like the show, just want to remind you, we have a website, tropicalmba.com. You click through on your phone, check us out on the web, hit that subscribe button and write the newsletter every week. There's a lot going on behind the scenes of the pod. And that's the best way to find out about upcoming events, both virtual, in-person and much more. Check us out at tropicalmba.com and give us some feedback on this brand spanking new website. Because it's time for a spanking. One of the things that you've done and we're going to ask you to do today is to essentially order the processes you've implemented in terms of the most important, you know, what would you start with and, and sort of let's rank order them and discuss their priority. I'm curious, before we get into the list, how do you sum up some of, yeah, the, the key results that your business has achieved because you took the implementation of these processes seriously? So... The difference is incredible because my life for two years was just like I described now. I would come up with ideas and then ruin my own vision and micromanage people, which I didn't like. And just, it was just messy. I would call it messy. I had a lot of slight messages every single day. And the reason is that when my helpers, my assistants got to a point where they got stuck because it, they couldn't follow the normal instructions. They would obviously come to me and ask me, like, how do I solve this problem? For example, a customer 
wrote and they had a very specific problem that they couldn't solve. It's like, okay, Lydia, uh, the situation is this. He told us this. This is, this is, you know, whatever. How do we solve it? And I would stop whatever I was doing, think about the problem, tell them the solution, and then they would go and write the email to the guy, right? Sometimes I would even write them the whole email. Like, okay, tell, them th- tell him this. And I would write the, the email. And obviously, when this happens with customer support and product and marketing and campaigns and everything else, you end up basically solving all your team's problems all day long. You can never plan anything. You cannot get any deep work done. You cannot think strategically about your business. You are working in your business, not on it, right? And that was my life before the systems. Now it's so much smoother because we have, for example, just one thing that we implemented is regular meetings every single Tuesday at 11. We have uh, the leadership council and we know that everybody will collect issues throughout the whole week and bring them to the meeting. So they do not need to uh, ping me on Slack and ask me questions because they know they will have me for one hour. They will have my full attention. We can solve all the problems we want. Yeah. But what also happened is that it's not me solving the problems. And this is beautiful because the leadership council is there to solve the problems together. So we have a rule that if you put up an issue, you don't just ask the question, you propose a solution. You think about it. You look at the data. You see, okay, how did we solve a simulation in the past? What are the numbers? What could we do? And you do the research. And then you come to the meeting and you ask the question and you already kind of have an answer. And most of the time, it's a good solution. You know, they have thought about it. I have clever people on my team so they can figure out most of the problems. But just the fact that we have that regular meeting and they have to do the work and solve it, it just makes my life so much easier. So now my Slack is like, I haven't received a single message in the last two hours or three hours, you know? Yeah. Everybody, if they have an issue, which is not super urgent, they just put it into the database, uh, our agenda for the next meeting, and we will deal with it together. So just this simple thing of having regular meetings has changed my life profoundly. The concept I've been thinking about around this, I've been thinking of as tempos. You mentioned it a few different times, having an idea and like, how long should that idea gestate before it becomes a strategy or a plan? Same with an issue in the company, like how quickly does it need to be addressed? And I think it's fascinating because it's like pretty conceptual stuff to like apply a tempo to different things and say, well, you know, in our company, say, for example, an issue, unless of course, like it's an emergency, does not get solved for one week, like issues get solved every week in our mm-hmm. company. And then, well, and then paradoxically, if the issue is issues aren't getting solved fast enough, then that's the issue that we discussed that week. And then in our company, yeah. new strategies get implemented every 90 days. So you can have all the good ideas you want, but it's going to have to wait 90 days because we're already working on the old good ideas. Exactly. And I think this yeah. is interesting because like everybody has th- their own individual idea of what the timing priority of different things in life is. So it's fascinating for your company to have a, an official perspective. Hmm. Obviously, there are different types of issues. So we still use Slack as people can talk to me. They can ask me a question if they cannot solve a, a problem. And it is urgent. For example, someone has written us an email and it would be weird not to reply for a week or something. Mm-hmm. So we do have those situations, but I would say it's maybe 5% of the Slack traffic that we had before. 
because most issues really can wait. And by the way, what, what's also helped, we also work with those 90-day projects or sprints or I don't know how to call them. Rocks. Four quarters, basically. Rocks. Yeah. yeah. So no, so we have four quarters and within each quarter, we have a few rocks. These are the, the big projects, right? And the fact that we have them and we thought about our September campaign back in June helps us to solve many issues in advance. So if you are responsible for your rock of the September campaign, you need to prepare a timeline. It's like, okay, by this time, we want to know the main stuff about the campaign. By this time, we want to have the videos ready. By this time, we want to have the sales page ready. So you do not solve the issues one day before the campaign. You do not run around and ping people. It's like, okay, help me solve this problem because this is really urgent. We solve it before it becomes urgent. Mm. You know what I mean? I do. So I think it goes hand in hand. So we, we have those regular meetings, but we also have the rocks. So we plan much more in advance. I don't know how to describe, but I just have a much better feeling about my business. It, I feel much calmer about it. There are always things happening and fires you need to put out, but it's a lot calmer, smoother. Can you reveal for us the top three systems that made the most difference, starting with number one? So I actually asked my team uh, to see what they think, what are the, the best things about implementing these systems. And they mentioned the regular meetings with the issues list. And then accountability sheet is the number two. And the one best thing is the rocks that we've just mentioned. So basically issues list, accountability sheet, and having plans for a quarter in advance. That's made people's lives easier. So your meeting tempo is once a week with the leadership team. Yes. And every single sub team within our team has their own weekly meeting, which I don't attend, but they, they attend it by themselves. And you have an agenda for every meeting. Yes. We have a one person responsible for that meeting. We, we only have four of them. Marketing, sales, uh, customer support, and operations. And then we have the strategy meeting. And basically, the people who run the four sub-teams are members of the leadership council, and we meet once a week. So if they had a problem in their weekly meeting and they cannot solve it, they move it over to the leadership council and we solve it all together. That's why we have the leadership meeting uh, on Tuesdays and they have theirs on Mondays. Yeah. I love it. So number one is having clarity around your meeting tempos, agendas, and hierarchies. Yes. Well, a lot of us don't like meetings and we think they're bad because we yeah. kind of spent 15 years reading productivity gurus tell us they're bad. But part of what I've been thinking is that, you know, the number one process in your business, if you want to be adaptable and lower stress and lower work, you could say it's process, but I think it's maybe leadership. And so by having mm -hmm. quality meetings that are meaningful, that people are engaged in regularly, actually allows you to apply leadership in a very efficient way. And I, that's just maybe I'm mm -hmm. just talking myself into it, Lydia, after years, but like... No, no, no. I, I totally agree with you, Dan. Yeah? yeah. Well, it, I mean, every business is, is really down to the people, right? You can have the best processes in the world, but if you don't have a good team then it will not help you much. The second system that your team voted on was the accountability sheet. Let us know what that looks yes. like and how it operates in your business. It's a sheet. It's like a diagram, an org, org chart and that shows who is accountable for what area in the business. So they hold the regular weekly meeting, for example, the marketing team, the operations team. And what is really interesting is that uh, we change it every three months. 
So we did not create like the ideal chart that this is what we want our business to be, but like, what is the best chart for us for the next three months? And then we will revisit it and maybe change it completely. So what it means is that, first of all, it gives you a lot of freedom to experiment. So we don't hesitate to put someone in a position is like, okay, let's try it with you now. You'll be the marketing manager now. You want it. You feel like you could do it. Let's see if you can grow into that role. And it's not like, okay, from now on, you know, you have this new job forever. It's like, no, you have it for three months. And if you prove to be the best person for it in three months, you can keep it for another three months. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it really motivates people to also like give it their best, but also not to worry too much or not to take it too seriously, like, oh, I'm upgraded now, or, you know, like, uh, this is this is an important position or something like that. It's just much freer to make changes. Why is this a breakthrough for your team? Because a lot of us bristle at organizational charts. We got into this to have fun or to have freedom, but now we're putting people back on an org chart and your team is saying, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Why? I think they they like it because it now makes sense to them. They know who to go to. And it's changed the positions. It's given us a lot of clarity. Before that, because I was growing the business so organically and naturally, I would have the first assistant. And actually, Veronica, my integrator, was my first assistant. And her main job at that time was to invite people on Facebook who liked one of my posts. So it was a very (laughs) manual task that she just kept doing, right? And then we needed to write an article so she would become a copywriter. And then we needed a Canva design, so she became a graphic designer. And she would be all of these things. And then we added a new assistant and they would do two of those things. And then we, you know, started to add more and more people. And suddenly you started to lose track. It's like, who do I go to if I want a proper copy written? Mm-hmm. Because you tried with a few people and you understand that copywriting is not something that everyone can do. And the quality is not the same, obviously. So then we just didn't know like who does what. So what, what was Veronica? She was kind of the person doing the Facebook but also kind of working with the tech. So we didn't know in any position. We couldn't call her anyway. And then when someone new came and they would be like, okay, who do I go to if I need this? Just ask me on Slack, I'll tell you, right? Hmm. So yeah, if you grow the team at a certain point, it's just everyone has like 16 different roles and it's a mess. So that's when we started to focus. Okay, you're very good at this. You will stop writing those blog articles because you're not very good at that anyway, right? Let's focus on this and that. And it helped us to understand what people actually do. So I got meeting tempos. So when you're meeting, what you're meeting about, who's there? The second thing is the accountability chart, which is an org chart with a 90-day role that's associated with the scorecard that you're updating every 90 days as well. That has particular habits and KPIs they're going for. The third thing you mentioned is an issues list. Mm-hmm. Tell us why they, how that manifests and how, why your staff loves it so much. So that's basically uh, when we talked about these Slack messages versus me being actually able to work. That's because of the issues list. Uh, it's the main part of our regular meetings. And we have a very clear agenda for all the weekly meetings. It's uh, very, very fixed. We always follow it to the letter. We start with a quick update of like, how have you been? How was your weekend? So mm-hmm. we don't just go straight to work. Then we go through some customer employee headlines. It's like, okay, uh, who is going on holiday? Who do we not count on in the next time? Then we always go through two testimonials that are heartwarming and that give us a sense of meaning. Like, why are we actually doing this? 
And then we go through the scorecard, which is uh, basically going through the weekly numbers or the most important KPIs in the business every week. And when we find out that some of the numbers are not what they should be, so they do not match the benchmark, they become red automatically. And that's when it becomes an issue. So we sometimes look at the numbers and we say, oh, look, the Facebook ads are not converting really well. And it's been the third week. So we need to check out what's going on. And for example, that was a recent issue. And we decided to find a PPC guy who is an expert and he will provide us with an audit to find out if we're doing something wrong or if it's just the market or just Facebook going crazy. So basically, scorecard and then issues list. And the issues list has two parts. The first part is, we call it the to-do list. And that is basically the issues list from the last meeting with the action steps that we agreed to do by the next meeting. So whenever we had, if we had an issue last week and we said, okay, we need to find a, a guy to do a PPC audit. Who is responsible for that? Well, Marianne is our sales guy. So you do your research and maybe contact a few people and by the next meeting, tell us who is going to do the audit, right? And now we go in the next meeting, we go through the to-do list and we check like, okay, the next issue was the PPC guy, Marianne. Do we have a person? Yes, we do. Okay, perfect. Next. It's a very swift action where we go through the issues list. Everyone knows that they will be asked whether they did it or not. So it never happens that they would be like, oh, I was supposed to do that. Okay, well, I'll do it next week. That just never happens because people know that they will be called you know, to action. They will be called accountable for, for the things that they were given as tasks. So that's Amazing. the to-do list. And then we do the, to, the issues list. And those are all the new issues that we have collected since the end of the last meeting up to this, the beginning of the next meeting. And there's usually uh, between 15 to 25 things on the list that everyone can bring. Some of them are brought from the smaller teams. So if they couldn't solve a problem at the customer support meeting, they move it over to us and we just go through them one by one. The solutions are usually suggested already. So it's already also quite a swift way to go through the issues. Absolutely brilliant. I love this. For those of you who haven't worked through issue lists, it reminds me a little bit of that book, The Checklist Manifesto. It's one of these things that's so simple, but it's incredibly powerful when you implement it. Exactly. You know, many people tell me like they read the book Traction and they go like, but this is basic stuff. There's nothing really new. And I go like, yeah, but do you actually do it? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so for example, with the accountability sheet, I know people who have successful businesses and they come to me like, oh, Lydia, I'm just so tired. It's like, I have this team and they're actually pretty good, but it's still me who ends up with all the real issues and it's on my table and I have to solve it and it's my responsibility. Yes. How is this possible? And I ask them like, well, it would help you to have an accountability sheet. And they go like, well, actually, we actually have one. Okay, but how true is it? Because if it's a, <laughs> if it's a nice to have or want to be accountability sheet, like it would be nice if this person was responsible for sales. You know, it doesn't really work. If, if it's really you who is in every single position, then no wonder you have all those issues. Are there any other, so we got the three biggies. They're fantastic. Are there any other small things from Traction that you've implemented that you're really delighted by? Yeah. What I really love is the same page meetings uh, with my integrator. So it's just visionary and integrator. And we also have our issues list and we have it only once a month. And we also collect both of us different issues from anything, anything strategic about the business. 
any HR issues about our managers that we don't want to discuss with all of them present. And then, yeah, we go through them and I found them very important because I believe that for this to work, it's quite important to have a good relationship between the visionary and integrator because they can really complement each other. They can help each other. If it's not there, if you if you're a visionary and do not have a good integrator or your relationship is not really that good, I think there could be a lot of problems arising from that. So we've got one more minute left. I'll ask you the hardest question. There's a lot of people that will no doubt be inspired by your implementation of the system. What's your biggest piece of advice for people that are feeling like they are at the center of everything? What is the first step that, or the first mindset shift that they can make to start to go down the road that you've gone down? Well, I suppose it will differ for many people. But in general, I would say if you do have a business with at least seven people on it and you feel that you are snowballed under it and it would be beneficial for you to actually have people thrown into the role of a leader or a manager and make some decisions by themselves and not run it by you every single time, I think it might be a good time for you to think about implementing a system of your choice. It could be EOS, it could be scaling up, it could be clockwork, which I think is the simplest of these three. It's about really implementing one book properly. And so if you decide which system is good for you, then really commit to doing it. You don't need official implementers for it, I think. We did it totally by ourselves, so we didn't really invest in it. We just really dedicated ourselves to going step by step and to following the book by the letter. And after two years, we now decide which parts we want to keep and which we maybe want to change a little. But at the beginning, I would say, stick to the book, stick to the system, follow it. And there will probably be things that you will understand only later on when you implement the whole system and these things start to make sense together. You probably will not be able to see them while reading the book. It's like, oh, this is why it's important to have the accountability sheet. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning, I thought that we don't need a scorecard. It's like, we're not really into numbers that much. You know, do we need that? <laughs> now I, I see it very differently because I, I have seen it working within the whole system. It's like a puzzle. In some ways, it parallels what you spoke about at the top of the show, which is, hey, Russell Brunson, 10 bucks. One day you read the book, but it took me a month to implement this. And some people pay $25,000 to implement this. I think it's similar with this stuff, which is, oh, such a simple idea, a meeting agenda list. But what we've found by coaching people through this is that implementation can be incredibly hard, not just from your perspective, but the team has to also believe and also behave in accordance with these principles. That's where all the action is. That's where all the work is. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. Very cool. Lydia, thank you for joining us on the TMBA podcast and sharing your story today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.